And as a church, we see First Fruits as a great opportunity to actually give our best and to give our first, in a sense, back to God. It's the end of the financial year. Well, that finished, didn't it? Already in June and in July, and we're already into the second month of the new financial year. But we take an opportunity every year to take up what we call first fruits. And in, and, and in the, the Word of God, it just talks about how the Jewish people had a, a, a tradition of taking the first part of the crop. It might have been dates. It might have been grapes. It might have been you know, barley, whatever it was. The very first part, even before anything else had been produced, that first part, and taking it and bringing it into the temple, and they'd present it to the priests. And the priest, because they weren't farmers and they would work um, uh, for the people in the, in the temple or in the church. Yes, YPs can go, by the way. <laughs> you knew if you just waved long enough that you'd get my attention. All 12 and 13-year-olds. Thanks, Kerry. Um, I did have it on the top of my page. Just never read it. <laughs> um, so we were, uh, so the Jewish people would bring it in and present it to the priests, and because they didn't have an income, that's how they'd survive for the year. So, and what the people were doing when they presented their first fruits or presented the first part of their crop, they were saying, "God, even though we're not quite sure what the rest of the the harvest will be like, we're going to trust you because we present our first part of our harvest to you." And we're believing that you'll not only look after the rest of the harvest, but you'll look after the rest of the 12 months for us and that you'll um, look after us and the provision of food that we need. And you know, God is very faithful. Who knows that God is an incredibly giving God, isn't he? You just give a little bit and my goodness, he's, he, he provides for us. And so uh, giving into this, of course, we're not going to bring our first fruits and give it to, uh, the, to the ministry team here. No, because we, we, we get a wage. But what we do is we bring it into the temple or, or the house of God or just, really, it's just a building. <laughs> um, and we just present it to God and say, God, we're just going to bring our first fruits. We're just going to be, what a bless. And, and so we're going to invite you to be a part of that again um, in this year. And we thank you for all the years that you've given. But this is why we've got a little display out here. So on the 2nd of September, we'll be taking up our first fruits. And uh, even if you want to give before the 2nd of September, you're welcome to do that. You can grab an envelope at the back and you can put your first fruits in there and put it in the offering bag. Or you can give electronically. Or you can give after the 2nd of September and you can give it for a month afterwards. So it's about a month before and a month afterwards. And after that month is finished, at the end of September, we'll close it off. Um, first fruits will be finished. So you may say, well, what are we going to give it to this year? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. We're going to give it to our, towards our building again. You might say, gee, this building's taking a long time to come about. It is. Because anything worth doing well is worth taking the time to make sure it happens right. That's my excuse anyway. <laughs> but uh, we're getting there. And if you didn't know, uh, there's been building projects. There's been stu- some of the uh, stuff has been happening already. The plumbing has now been partly done just this past week or two weeks. You'll notice some dirt around the place. They've been digging holes. And, and if you're wondering why that tree over there, did you notice that tree's missing? Now, please understand, I tried to save that tree. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord, I lie. <laughs> but our wonderful plumbers and builders this week discovered that tree was wrapping its little roots around all the pipe work. And so they had to take it out because it was just going to destroy our pipe work. And, you know, um, it, that's no good. So, so it's gone. Um, and we had a little service for it. But uh, 
But anyway, that's one of the things. If you didn't notice, the water pressure to the hall now is incredible. Wow. We've lived for so many years with so much less water pressure up there. Now it's incredible. Praise God. Anyway, so little things like that's going to be continuing to happen. Um, so just so you're going to we're going to give part of it. But the very first part of our first fruits, we're not going to give it to the building. We're going to give it outside this building. Is that cool? In actual fact, $4,100 we're going to give outside the building. And uh, it's going to go, uh, Pastor Margaret's here, wonderful. And um, the truth is, is it's going to go to a jail in Barawan, which is, um, Pastor Margaret actually just lives about a kilometre and a half from that little city, don't you? Well, that's your town, your, your Barangay village. And in this jail, um, we've had the, a couple of us had the pleasure to minister um, monthly. Uh, Pastor Margaret and the Filipino team go in and minister. Now, around the outside of the middle picture is just pictures of the, uh, of, uh, the Center for Change. Um, there's a, that's Roland. Isn't that... Roland, he, he just got his certificate in, graduated agriculture. He came in as a little boy, Pastor Margaret, and now he's graduated. And you can see some boys on your left and me and Steve, my son-in-law, were there earlier in the year, had a great time with these young girls. All I, I just had this thought. This jail has 50 guys in. We went in there and ministered one Monday just before we left with um, Pastor Margaret and the team. And, um, you know... You know, maybe everybody's kind of conditioned to raise their hand and say, pray for me. But I asked, and I think most of those guys, he said, pray. There's 50 of them. And their heart, I believe their hearts were open and responsive. And certainly the jail warden who looks after this jail there in the town of the city of Brown um, is very open. And so what we're going to do is partly, they, they need to build a roof on this jail, part of it, and part of it's missing. So they're building that right now. They're building it right now. But we're going to provide the finance for it. Is that okay? 4,100. So the first part of the first fruits um, will go there. That's our commitment. And, um, and so um, I was just thinking the reality. Some of these young men in the Center for Change who have come in as orphans have had no parents or only one parent or a dysfunctional family. The truth is, maybe if these men in the jail there, I know that's not the picture of the jail in Brown when it's a Filipino jail, but maybe the men in the jail, if they'd found out about the Center for Change a little earlier, maybe they wouldn't be in jail. And the truth is, the boys around the outside, if maybe they hadn't had the Center for Change, maybe they would be in that jail. So we're going to do something about it as a church, and we're going to provide some funds for it. How's that? Cool? Brilliant. Thanks, everybody. I'd love you to participate um, in it. You know why? Um, for your own personal incredible blessing, God is a faithful God. As we give, He just provides back. And Maybe over this next month, we'll have some great testimonies about that and what God's been doing in lives. Okay, we're all good. Smile at the person beside you. Come on, give him a better smile than that. Does anybody remember an ad? Oh, I just, this ad, uh, there's ads that catch your attention. Isn't that true? There's an ad that caught my attention, I don't know, four or five years ago. It was an ad, and I'll describe it for you, so you just got a kind of a glimpse of understanding. Some of you will um, recognize and remember this ad. But there's a man about early 30s, 32, 33, comes into a, like a general store. Um, it's like maybe a corner store, or it's just a big general store, you know, like an IGA, a little IGA or something like that. And he comes up to the desk, the counter, and behind the counter is an older woman, maybe in her 60s, with big rim glasses, and she looks at him, 
And he says, um, I just like to buy a bottle of milk. <laughs> don't, don't, don't spoil it. And he says, I just want to buy a bottle of milk. And the lady behind the counter, without hardly grasping for breath, says, What kind? You got fat free, organic, lactose free, low fat, skim, semi skim, soy, almond, pasteurized, unpasteurized, homogenized, A2, organic, whole, high calcium, high protein, or extra dollop. And the young guy, um, I just want milk that tastes like milk. And she gets this bottle of milk, the milk that the ad was all about, Paul's full cream, and she plunks it on the, on the counter and she says, this tastes like milk, and it's 2% fat-free. And he goes, I'll have it. And I was contemplating that ad, and as we look at it and just think about it, I believe that the reality is, is as many milks as there is, the reality is, is that sometimes you just don't need all the choice and you just want real milk. You just want real stuff. You want, you know, what happened to the days when I was growing up and real milk was just real milk? <laughs> and I think in our culture today, no one likes a fake. Is that true? We don't, we don't like fakes. We want reality. And I think generally if we bring it over into our humanity, we all want to be real. We all want to be something that's genuine, something that's not a fake. And um, the reality is when we bring it over into even a little bit further into the Christian realm, Christianity, sometimes it's a bit hard to distinguish really who's a Christian and not a Christian because it, the, the water gets a little muddied and we see, I wouldn't say fake people, but people who just don't understand what a real Christian is. Because the truth is, if we take the Australian census, over 52% of Australians in that question of Christian, Muslim, blah, blah, Hindu, all the rest of it, they tick Christian, 52, about 52%. The reality is, is that what I, I kind of struggle with, only 2% of them actually follow that through and live out their faith, maybe through a local church or on their, and, and be real in their Christianity. So I think Australians aren't faking it saying they're Christians, I'm just not quite sure if they truly understand what real Christianity is. I just don't quite... And, and so today I just wanted to kind of think about that. Um, and I've entitled my message simply Real Milk for two reasons. Is one, because I'm an avid milk drinker. In actual fact, you can ask my family, I'll drink, more, I'll drink two things in life, water and milk. Um... <laughs> They're the main kind of liquids I have in life, apart from a chai latte every, every now and then. But the reality is water and milk. So that's the first reason. But the second reason is because there seems to be all forms of what people call Christianity. But would, would the real Christian please stand up? Would the real Christian please stand up? Not just now. No, it's, it's okay. It's a rhetorical question. In the Bible, if we were to look, and so let's just talk about this question this morning, true, real Christianity, real Christianity. If, if um, talking and looking, reading in the Bible, real Christianity is described in the Bible as a disciple, a disciple. Now, you, you may have a full understanding of that, but let me give you one of the key thoughts about discipleship. Disciple, the word disciple in the Bible means to be a learner or a pupil of Jesus. 
which I really love that thought because it, it's saying that if we're a, a, a true Christian, it's saying you're always desiring to be a learner or a follower of Christ Jesus. You're someone who isn't a professional. We aren't professional Christians, hey? Um, maybe the Pharisees were a bit professional in their Christianity, but they didn't have a relationship with God, really. They had a set of rules and that was it. But true Christianity just talks about being a learner or a pupil of Jesus. And then we've got to realize that throughout our Christian lives, there's always an opportunity to learn. There's always an opportunity to go further. There's always an opportunity to say, God, I can, there's more for me, which really helps us in continually realizing that a true disciple is someone who leans upon, looks to uh, the creator, uh, um, looks towards Jesus, is willing to follow and learn. So that was the, the first little thought. So, but, but let's little be a little bit more specific. What did Jesus really say when he said what Christianity, what true Christians are like? What did he really say when what true disciples are? What, what's it, could, you, you know, what is it, could you give me this morning things? And maybe you could, but let me give it to you. Some things that Jesus said what a true disciple or a true Christian looks like. And the first thing is really this. In John 8, 31, Jesus said something pretty significant. And, this is the, and he said this. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. There we go. It's not too many words in John 8, 31. So the first thought is that the disciples know his word. And know the word. I'll explain. The word in John 8.31, when it says W-O-R-D in red there up on the screens, that word quite literally means, um, it means inspired word of God. So you, you know when you take the Bible or you take, you know, and you start to read it, that's the inspired word of God. In other words, man didn't think it up, but God inspired it as man wrote it. Men and women wrote it. Well, mainly men, I suppose. And so it literally can mean, there's another word for it, it means in the Greek means logos. That's a word that some of us will be well familiar with. But it means a little bit more than that because we see this word in this passage also comes up in another passage of John, in the very first chapter of this book of John, in the very first verse. And it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word takes this same Greek word logos and pushes it a little bit further when it says this. It's referring to Jesus, the word Jesus there, that's Jesus. He was God. He was in the beginning. And so we see the word refers not just to the written inspired word, and it's not just God, which is God's teachings, but it also refers to the living word Christ. He's walking, breathing. He's the living manifestation of what the Bible talks about. And so when John says, if you abide in my word, he's not just talking about reading your Bible. It's not just a whole lot of head knowledge, but it's actually a relationship that would, he would say it's a little bit more than just a reading. It's, a, it's, a, it's more like also knowing. Because you can know the teaching of Jesus, but do you know the teacher? And so true Christianity, it says, or true discipleship is knowing both. It's knowing just not the, just the teachings, but it's knowing the teacher as well. And John's saying, come on, you know your Bible, that's what he's saying, but know your God. Uh, you can have a great knowledge of Bible, Bible knowledge, yet you really you can have no capacity to know the one who inspired it in the first place. And we've got to be careful about that, because true Christianity is having both. Um, 
It says abide in his word, which it's an interesting word. It says abide. If you abide, that's an interesting word because it really in, in English means a lot of things. But one of the things that I love in what it says, it says um, abide means to stay in, to stay in. It could also mean dwell, but it means to stay in. It means to participate, to be involved. It means to stay in. It's like a daily thing that you're going to be in that place every day, um, your whole life. It, it, really puts to, it really puts the whole idea of being a Christian one day and not the next out the window. You know, oh, I, you know, oh yes, I'm with God. No, I'm not with God. And sometimes I think God's... His heart is for us to, while he understands and he embraces us and he loves us, his heart is that we would abide, be consistent, constant. We would stay in, his, in relationship with him, stay in his word, abide in those places. And the truth is, is I find that not only do I need to abide in his word, but I've got to abide in relationship with him. And truly, truly then I can start to fathom what this whole Christian thing is about. Um. Jesus was an incredible example of abiding in his Father's presence. It, it just says, well, it says in Luke 5, 16, it just says, um, he himself often, often withdrew from the crowd. Well, it doesn't say crowd, but often withdrew from all the people, and he went into the wilderness, and he prayed. In other words, Jesus often, on six occasions, it says in the New Testament, that he often withdrew. He took himself away from the, into an isolated spot where he could just get some time where he could communicate and relate to his heavenly Father. Jesus was an incredible example of what that abiding means. He, went, he, would, um, he would often minister to the people, wouldn't he? And we see the miracles, and we see the healings. And we see the, the, the amazing things and the lives that he touched. But that was not the success. That didn't make him successful. You've got to understand that. Because people, success was not birthed out of what you do. It's birthed out of who you're with. See, success for Jesus was not all the miracles and the, and the t things that happened and the salvations and the lives he ministered to. His success was always birthed out of his abiding presence with his heavenly Father. And, and out of that relationship, everything else flowed. But, you know, we may wonder, well, where is God in this world? I want to see him, the God of miracles and the God. Well, don't go for the God of miracles. Go for the God, and then you'll see the miracles. And so true Christianity is wrapped up in, you know, all the wonderful stuff that we're going to believe for. But first of all, it has to be in that place of just knowing who our God is. Not just knowing his teachings, but knowing the teacher. And Jesus knew his father. Um, he built a daily relationship he built an abiding lifestyle so that when questions come up in life and when he had to face the tough situations, he knew where his strength lay. His strength came from the Lord because of his abiding presence. And abiding, um, even though he was the word of God, even though he, 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 was, God in a, he was God, of course, um, the truth is he still needed his father's presence. How much more does God want us to be? And so we see discipleship is having this abiding. I, I, I read this incredible story about... a. Uh, of all things, about a dog, but it's quite inspiring. And the story goes like this. There's a, in Japan, in the 1920s, it started in 1920, a little dog was born to an owner. His name was Yuno. <laughs> Not the game. He's Japanese. So, you know, they can call whatever they want to call themselves. Yuno, the man's name was Yuno. He was an agricultural professor at the University of Tokyo. And a little dog was born, and he had that dog in his possession. It grew up, and at about six months of age... He used to, it used to follow him everywhere. His, the dog's name was 
there's the dog on the screen. The dog was um, Hachiko, okay? Interesting name. It's Japanese. They're allowed to have those names. So Hachiko would follow Yuno all around the place. And so what would happen as Yuno would go to work, he'd jump on, a, um, he'd jump on the train. Before he jumped on the train, he'd walk to the train station, I should say, and his dog would follow him. And, and in the 1920s, you know, that was cool. Dogs were allowed to do that. And, it would, and uh, it would sit at the train station until he returned that afternoon, and it would walk home with him, and they were inseparable. Chico and Yuno, the master and the, little, and the dog. So in 1925, unfortunately, a tragedy happened. Yuno, this professor of agriculture who lectured at the university in Tokyo, died at his workplace. Died. No one told Chico. No one told his dog. And so that afternoon, he waited at the train station. This was his usual thing. He was waiting for his master. Hours went past. Days went past. Weeks went past. Ten years went past. And this dog, Chico, waited at the train station. Ten years of waiting. Ten years of doing the very thing that his, his, his master gave him the command last to do, stay. 1935, Chico died of natural causes. He would every day be found sitting there. There is the last photo in 1934 of this dog scanning the face. He's been there nearly 10 years, folks, scanning for the faces of his master. What a commitment, what a faithfulness. You know, dogs are like that, aren't they? They're amazing attribute, and they show us something of the reflection of the character that we need to have towards our Heavenly Father. Abiding presence, just abiding, just staying, just looking for the, doing what Jesus asked us to do. Stay, abiding in that place, dwelling in that place as Christians. And in 1935, this dog died. He became a legend in all of Japan, and they built a statue and reunited his master with the dog in a statue. And there is the statue in the bottom right-hand corner that's there still today of the dog, and you know the, the um, university professor who loved his dog and the dog loved him. I, you know, if there was just... I know a dog isn't human, and I know a dog has no understanding of human thoughts, but even if we had just a small percentage of the dog's faithfulness to our God, that's what makes an incredible Christian and disciple. A continual commitment and constant engagement with our Heavenly Father. A faithfulness to the cause. And even though everything doesn't go right, and we don't hear God's voice like we should sometimes, we're still faithful. We're still there. And at the end of our days, when we breathe our last, we'll hear that wonderful um, verse where God says, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. He didn't say, well done, good and healing servant. Now, I want the gifts of the Holy Ghost. I want to see God move in power, believe me. And we pray for that. And on Sunday night, last Sunday night, we were doing that and praying and believing. But the reality is, is that one of the most incredible attributes of a, a, a true Christian is this abiding passion and desire to be in his word, to know the teacher and to know the teachings. And if, and if in any way this morning that dog reflects to you the kind of character we need as Christians, let it be this morning. Let it be. Here's the other one that I want to just talk to you about. Not only is there that verse in John, but there's another verse in John chapter 10, 3, 4, and 5. Let me read it to you. 
I, I, I'll put the key little bit up on the, my shepherd knows his voice up there on the screen. Let me read the whole thing. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. For he, for, but will flee from that person, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Well, they don't recognize or don't listen to the voice of strangers. It's interesting. In Israel, sheep and shepherds have an incredibly intimate relationship. In Australia, we drive our sheep, helicopters, motorbikes, horseback, whatever. We don't hop in front of them and say, come on, sheepy, sheepy. <laughs> we drive them. In Israel, they don't drive their sheep. They have the shepherd who walks out in front and the sheep follow him and the actual fact he calls and they recognize his voice what a great illustration of us and our heavenly father and 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 the second thing about true discipleship is do you know his voice do you know his voice because it says there in scripture that there can be strangers and their voices and you know as I contemplate that thought we get many distractive voices come at us and sometimes it's difficult to decipher God What's you and what's this world and what's my flesh? And, and we're trying to work through what, what am I listening to? What's the proper thing to do here and what's the right thing? And we're trying to make decisions, but we're trying to listen for the right voice. And, and God says, you know, the closer you get, if you do the first step of biting, the clearer you'll hear. The clearer you hear. It's amazing that if I, you know, I can be in a crowd and if Michelle calls out to me, straight away I know that's Michelle. Where is she? You know why? Because I've lived with her for 33 years, 30, oh, don't know how many years, don't tell her that, I've forgotten. <laughs> how many years you've been married? 31. It, 31. 97, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 87. Oh, of course it is. 31 years anyway. And you know why? Because we've, we've been together for a while and so I just know that voice clearly. And you know, and the closer you get to a person, you'll recognize their voice. You'll recognize their voice. And it's the same with the closer you get, you'll recognize his voice. Now, how does he speak? Um, You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we, I've noticed God doesn't put any neon signs in the sky for me. He doesn't write, you know, he's not lately anyway. He's welcome to. He doesn't get his finger and write on the wall like he did in Old Testament and give a message to the king in those days. You know, more than often, God, as I just abide in his presence, he'll speak that, that voice into my heart. He'll speak, you know, as I read his word. Fair dinkum. Some years ago when I was in my early, uh, late, late 20s, early 30s, I've forgotten the exact year, I was reading a scripture in, in um, Exodus. Um, and it just says, Exodus 20, 12, it says, a long time ago, uh, sorry, that's not the verse. It says, this is the verse. Honor your father and mother and you'll have long life on the earth. And you know, I've read that verse hundreds of times because it's also duplicated in some other passages of scripture. And I read it this time and something hit me in the heart. And I think, and what really hit me is, I want to live long. And, and then the second thing that, if I want to live long on the earth, it says, always uphold and honor your father and mother. And I said, and from that moment, that revelation hit me in the heart. And I said, God, you know, from now on, I'm never going to slander my parents. Not that I actually was in the business of that. But there was this voice speaking to my heart. And I believe it's just God. He's saying, you know what? Honor your parents. Even when they don't get it all right. Even when they, they, they go wrong and they blow it. And, and, and they do the wrong by you. Honor your parents. 
honor your parents. Is that for their sake? No, it's for your sake because it does something inside your life to be honoring to them. Um, and, and, and I've lived with that. And I remember that God just, that's, that voice into my heart saying, you make sure you do that for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that you don't see the mistakes and realities, but you honor them, you respect them, you uphold them. And you know, that was just one time. I find sometimes what happens is that in the midst of many distracting voices, it can be difficult to decipher what is happening and what's really been spoken by God and what's been distracted by some, spoken by something else. And, and you know, we, we, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. I, I, just this last couple of weeks, I, uh, I enjoy going for a bit of a run. I'll go for a run on Saturday morning. I'll go for a run on Thursday afternoon. I'll, I'll try and do a run on Monday morning. So I space it out. And and as I was, and I've, um, I pulled a little, well, I had a bit of a muscle problem in my left calf, which is more of a nerve issue, but, um, and I couldn't run. And I was thinking, rats, can't go for a run. Now I'm going to get, you know, I need that emotional release. I need that, that exercise and challenge. And so I was feeling a bit like really upset with myself and, and kind of like, God, why did this happen? You know, have you had that question? God, why did this happen? And... Um, and the voice that came back into me and said, if you spent as much time with me as you do with running, do you think that we could have a better relationship? And I said, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, I said, but God, you know, I go for a run. I go, you know, I go for a run Monday and Thursday and, and Saturday morning. And, and yeah, that's a bit of time, God. He says, Exactly. Exactly. It's got to recognize that the, the, the voice of God sometimes, um, you know, he, he wants to speak because he wants to, in the midst of some of the challenges we hear. I, I often can hear, if you're willing to, you'll hear God speak. Maybe it's reading God's word. He'll, something will just jump out of you. But sometimes we think, it, if only you'll open your heart in the midst of some of the struggles of life, God is really trying to communicate with you. He's trying to show you something about your life. And so you've got to recognize his voice. Sometimes it can be the prophetic. Maybe, you know, someone just gives you an encouraging word. Maybe sometimes it's in a dream. Maybe sometimes it's just a, a, um, um, uh, numerous ways. Um, but the reality is often I find it's just as I abide in his word, abide in his presence, and he wants to just speak to me about life. The thing is, it says, there's a wonderful verse in Proverbs chapter 1 that says this. 20 and 21. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public squares. She calls out to the crowd along the main street and to those in front of the city hall. So we see that wisdom here is personified as a woman, if you look in Proverbs. And it says wisdom is shouting in the streets. Why does wisdom need to shout in the streets? Because sometimes we're out there in the public domain and we're so busy doing, 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 busy this and that and everything else. And yet God has to raise his voice and say, come on, can you hear me in the midst of... Because in Israel's day, the marketplace was in the public square. That's where they bought and sold land and bought and sold things. And they would, there was many people. And, you know, that's the place where you need the greatest wisdom of God, isn't it? Sometimes in the busyness of life, you need wisdom. And they're the places you need to hear God's voice above all the distractions. The distraction of, well, I just need to do this. You know, they didn't have a social media. They had the marketplace in Israel's day, in Jewish times. They didn't have Facebook, Instagram, or whatever. 
they had the face-to-face, and in the midst of that, um, they needed to have the, make the right decisions. And I think sometimes, maybe social media keeps you far too long, and you never, if, if you would stop listening to the voice of what social media said, maybe you could hear the voice of God. Is there anything wrong with social media? Nothing at all. It's just that we say, gee, we're such a relationship-based generation. <clears throat> I sometimes think, I think we're less relationship-based. They say, no, 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 I've got all these friends on Facebook. How many of those are you face-to-face with? Well, none, but I've got all these friends. I think we just need to find out that God is the greatest friend of all. And if God had a Facebook account, I tell you what, how many would have it on their phone? (laughs) Have you thought about that? Facebook God. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't he? But you know what? He doesn't do that because he wants you to make a choice. Because it's so easy to pick up the phone and, you know, half an hour's gone, an hour's gone. You've got to stop it. You've got to give some time to some other things, hey? Anyway, we're cool? <laughs> Do you know his voice? I think a true disciple comes to the point where they know the, they start to really pick up on, on the God's voice or God speaking or God just sharing stuff. And often, sometimes, it can be a challenging voice about how we need to just allow him to do something in our hearts. Here's the last thing, and we'll leave it at this. John 15, 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. There it goes. You bear much fruit. Disciples bear fruit. Um, We get pretty excited as human beings. We get pretty excited as human beings because, you know, if you, you put a little veggie patch out and you grow some vegetables or you grow some herbs... Or, uh, you know, anything that grows, you can, wow, look at that. You know, we get excited to see a little child conceived in the embryo stage and brought right through, um, you, know, to, at, you know, to a child that's born and then a child that grows up and a child that becomes... That's an exciting thing. We love things that grow. We love bearing fruit. And so we should because God said in the garden way back in Genesis in the first Adam and Eve, go forth and multiply, hey? And we've been doing it ever since and so we should continue. So it's an exciting attribute, a part of humanity is to see things grow. The thing is, it says we need to bear fruit in our Christian walk. And I see two areas in the Bible where it says we need to be fruit bearers. Galatians chapter 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. And you can think of the other three. I've forgotten. The other one that we need to be fruit bearers is it says go forth and make disciples. Bear fruit. See people come to Jesus. That's another area of fruit bearing. And I've discovered that, you know what? If I have my little herb garden at home, sorry, not mine, Michelle's and mine, if we water it, sunshine, uh, uh, air, oxygen, fertilize, you know, all those ingredients, the things grow naturally. Isn't that wonderful? Things will grow naturally if you just give it the right environment. Isn't that true? The right environment. I have a brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, Herbert and Vanessa, and they were living in Switzerland in 2000, and Michelle and I went to Switzerland and I actually was involved in marrying them in Switzerland. And um, in there, they lived outside of a city called Zug, 800 meters above sea level in this lovely, lovely house. And, you know, it snowed at that level up there. I mean, in actual fact, it snows everywhere in Switzerland. But 800 meters above sea level, it was definitely snowing up there. And in their lounge room, they had this big pot and they had a, they had a Queensland banana tree in the pot in the middle of Switzerland. Uh, the thing is, every now and then they had to go and put it on the balcony to get some sunlight. 
and you know, I discovered when I Googled it that bananas' optimum fruit-bearing temperature is 32 degrees. Do you know how many times it gets 32 at 800 meters above sea level in Switzerland? Never. In actual fact, if it gets to 32, people die. That's a heat wave. You and I get used to it, but you know. So this banana tree is growing in their lounge room, and it, and, you know, it's growing, and it's about a meter tall. And I'm thinking, that, it, it, that is a contradiction right there. But the interesting thing about this banana tree, it never produced fruits because of the environment. It had the soil and the air, but it wasn't interesting. It, on its agenda was not fruit-bearing. It didn't have that on its agenda. It's, on its agenda was survival. <laughs> Just survive. <laughs> okay? So, interesting but I want to just say, if there's no love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control, maybe you just need to look at the environment you live in. The environment, not so much geographically, but your heart. Where's the, where's the, where is the environment of your heart? You know, it's, it's important. If, if you have no joy, and the, and the peace is something you just dream about, and, and, you, um, and maybe um, the reality is you, you, don't ha- you struggle sometimes with just self-control. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm just saying that maybe if there's a lack of that, maybe the truth is God wants you to have those things, those fruit of the Spirit, but you look, need to look at the environment that you've placed your heart or your attitudes or your thoughts. Or your... And if you maybe find that you'd shift or change that environment, you might find that you'll produce bananas even in Switzerland in the most coldest climate if you give it the right environment and you give it the right stuff. That is what Jesus says is fruit-bearing and what a true disciple is all about. The other thing about trees that bear fruit, no tree consumes its own fruit. Have you ever seen a, you ever seen a grapevine and a little you know, a little branch comes out like that and it starts to munch on the grapes. No tree consumes its own fruit. You know why we bear fruit? For others. The fruit in your life is for someone else to pick. So when you've got joy and love and hope and self-control, other people see that, they go, whoa, I want some of that. And thus is an opportunity to not just bear the fruit of the Spirit, but to bear disciples or to make, and to be a witness, hey? To be an example. So there's those, I was, uh, I was, um, actually the, the musos can come. I was uh, this week, just this last Tuesday, uh, I was at the netball courts because um, Lydia wanted to go and watch her team play netball even though she couldn't play because of her injury. So I went with her and while I was sitting at the edge of the netball court watching her team play, her and me watching her team play, um, one of the mothers for our team came over and said, do you know we're on canteen duty? I said, no problem, I'll come and, wa- I'll come and do canteen duty, so, uh, which I've done before. And so I went with her, and for half an hour we've done canteen duty. So I'm in the canteen, um, you know, and, uh, and it, was bit, it was while the games were on, and so it was a bit slow, business was slow, that's cool. There was me, there was the mother, and then there was this gentleman I met. He was about, he's about 40, and uh, he, he looked at me, and straight away he said, I know you. And I thought, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? How do you know me? He says, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I said, oh, well, keep on thinking. You might. Uh, he says, what do you do? Now, that can end in two ways, really good or really bad, when that question is asked. So I said, I offer this little prayer, God. May, he, may this be a good one. May he understand. I said, 
boldly. I said, I'm actually, I'm a pastor. You know, those minister type people. I'm a pastor of a church in Glad. He says, really? I thought, well, that's good so far. <laughs> he didn't slap me. So uh, I said, yeah, I pastor a church. He said, really? And then the whole floodgate opened. And, you know, thankfully there was no one to serve. Well, the lady was serving and he's talking to me and he said, do you know that I was 172 kilograms five years ago? I'm thinking, 172? Okay, if you say you're 170, he says, I lost it. I said, how did you lose that much? That's incredible. The lady is now engaged. She's going, wow, how did you lose all that weight? Because he now looks about 85 kilograms. And he said, you know, I had a brain aneurysm. I said, really? How does that make you lose weight? He said, well, I had a brain aneurysm, and it, it exploded behind my eyeball, and it, I nearly lost my life, and they brought me back, and I, I went to emergency, and, I, and they operated, and I got into hospital, and there's this guy come along, and he was a Christian. Oh, how do you know he was a Christian? Because he prayed for me. Really? What did he pray? That I'd be healed. And he said, within three days, I was better. I said, really? Who was this guy? And he says, I don't know, but he was just a Christian. It's like one of you type. <laughs> I said, well, that's good. I said, do you go to church anyway? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you kind of, you know, engaged with God? He said, yeah, I did for three years. I went to a church in Calliope, and it was the um, Catholic church. And, and I said, oh, well, that's great. You're still going? He says, no. I said, why? He says, oh, I haven't got time for Christianity. Uh, I thought to myself, oh, it worn off. It, the old Christian experience worn off. And so we talked, and I said, what, what about, there's another church out there, lifestyle churches out there, why don't you go, he says, oh, you know, he mumbled something, and I thought, what is happening here? And he says, I'll be here, because I had to go then, and we talked a bit more, and, and then he says, I'll still be here, I'm here every Tuesday night, and I thought, yeah, we'll have more conversation, but I'm just thinking that, you know, as we continue the opportunity just to share with that guy and make him prompt him to remember again that God has done something significant in his life and he can't run away from it and he can't deny it that God touched his life. And I'm thinking, buddy, come on. You need to get your act together. God is knocking on your door. You don't need another aneurysm to remind you that God loves you and to come back. But you know what? We just need to be have the fruit of the Spirit and often you'll find that the fruit of fruit bearing and making people come to Christ will flow out of that so much. Come on. How do we become, how do we know true Christians? True Christianity, they're abiding in His presence, abiding in His word. How do we know true Christianity? Uh, what was the second one? Come on, someone's written it down. Know His voice, you'll hear it. And the other thing is that we'll continue to bear fruit. Well, bear fruit. That's a good sign. Now, if you're not bearing fruit, maybe just God wants you to change the environment in your life. Come on. How about this morning we just stand as we close? Welcome me. I was lost, but he brought me. Here. 